Let's take our seats together. Praise the Lord. You have your Bible. We want to read from Isaiah chapter 57. Uh, Isaiah chapter 57 and verse 15. Amen. Isaiah 57 and verse 15. Amen. Just going to uh, speak on the two dwelling places of God. The two dwelling places of God. Uh, Isaiah chapter 57 and verse 15. Just that one verse. For thus saith the High and the Lofty One that inhabiteth eternity, whose name is Holy, I dwell in the High and the Holy Place with Him also that is of a contrite and humble spirit to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. I just want to read the verse again. For thus saith the High, And the lofty one that inhabiteth eternity, whose name is holy, I dwell in the high and the holy place with him also that is of a contrite and humble spirit to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. I just want to put this verse uh, by the Lord's help in its context this morning uh, for us just to grasp the spiritual significance uh, uh, of the prophet's declaration and the word of the Lord that came at this time. And just if we could go back, and I think we might be here for a few weeks, but if we go back to Isaiah chapter 56 and verse 9, we begin to grasp the context before we come to this amazing verse, this wonderful verse. But in Isaiah 56, This is just prior to Israel uh, being brought into captivity. God was about to judge Israel as a nation that had departed from the God that had delivered her, brought her forth out of Egypt, that had birthed her, that had brought her out and brought her in. The blessings of the Lord that God had bestowed upon her then, uh, she went her own way. She turned to the gods of this world and she began to fall into rebellion and God began to send prophets of the Lord into Israel and they would plead the cause of God. They would plead the heart of God to his people. And often we see these men that were raised up in this hour as they came with the heart of God to bring forth the warnings of God and the pleadings of God. God would plead with his people to return to him. And if if they returned, if there was true repentance, God's God time and time again, was showing that he was a God that loved them. He was a God that was rich in mercy. He just didn't become merciful and full of love in the New Testament. God is love. And God demonstrated that love to us through the Lord Jesus Christ. But he is a God of love. And so he would send these men into the midst of Israel in the time when they were completely backslidden in heart. They were cold. They were indifferent. And they were serving other gods. They were raising up other idols and God would send these prophets of the Lord and they would come and they're, they're, they were basically messengers. They were messengers of the Lord. The Spirit of the Lord would come upon them. They were obedient to God. Many of them found themselves martyred for the faith. They were, they were sawn. They were put in prisons. They were stoned. They were, they were rejected. And God yet in His mercy kept sending men that would, would speak and bring forth the truth of God's word and the pleadings of the heart of the Father for Israel to come back again. And the Lord, I suppose, and all of what the prophets were sent to do in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, 
when we see him standing on the Mount of Olives looking over Jerusalem and the tears that were pouring down the cheeks of the Lord Jesus Christ. And as he cried on the Jerusalem, oh Jerusalem, I would have wanted to gather you as a hen would gather her chicks, but you wouldn't come. And, and so this is the Lord, the very heart of God, the Father demonstrated in the Son, Jesus Christ. His purpose was to bring them back. And at this particular time in Israel, in Isaiah we find that they're, they're just approaching the judgment of God. God had said, we, I will bring judgment upon you. I will put you off the land. Judgment will be raised up against you. There'll be a captivity that will come. But yet in the midst of this, we see still God is pleading for them to turn. There's mercy with God. There, there's mercy with God. God is pleading for them to repent, to turn from their wicked ways. And God would heal them and God would restore them and God would revive them and God would come down in their midst and God would, would, would come and bring judgment upon their enemies if only they would turn to him. And what happened at this time in Isaiah 56, we pick up just the context of this verse. In verse 9, we see, first of all, there was the failure amongst the leaders in Israel. That was a very serious thing. When the shepherds in Israel, when the leaders in Israel, when they had turned from God and they were no longer faithful in the proclamation of the word of God, that was, that was a very serious thing in the heart of God, in the eyes of God. And we read here just what took place. It tells us in verse 9 through to 12, verse 9 opens with that the land was devoured with beasts. Now a lot of this language it's, it's a metaphor. It's to bring forth the truth, what was taking place. So when the land was devoured by beasts, it wasn't literally that there was wild animals that were just coming in across the land. There's, there's a spiritual significance that was taking place. Now, the reason why this is important is because it is likened to the day in which we're living. There is, there is parallels, there are spiritual principles that we need to see and understand. And here we see that the land is devoured by, by beasts. It seemed the nation was overrun by spiritual forces, devoured by the enemies of God. You know, you remember Paul wrote these words in 1 Corinthians 15 and 32, I have fought the beasts of Ephesus. That wasn't literally animals that he was fighting. They were spiritual powers and spiritual forces in that idolatrous city. But God, through the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ, worked in wondrous and miraculous power. And Paul was engaged in a warfare. And so we see here now, what had happened in Israel, there were spiritual forces that were coming in. They were known as beasts, and they began to devour the nation. They were devouring the land. And then in verse 10, we see... We see really the breakdown of, of the leaders of Israel. They were known as watchmen. Watchmen. Uh, when we were in India and lived in India for a few months, we had a watchman. His name was Mutney. And at night time, we would go out with Mutney and, and sometimes we'd pull you know, the plastic chairs, the, the patio chairs, and we'd sit around a wee campfire with him. And he would stay awake all night and he would wrap his head in this scarf and he would stand with a wee fire just at the gate of our home while we slept in safety. And every night, he never fell asleep. He was faithful in his duty to watch the little camp where we were, where we were resting. And he's a wonderful man of God. His wife was wonderfully healed of terminal cancer just prior to her death that saved her, saved him, and saved his whole house. 
His son was deaf and dumb and he was wonderfully touched by the power of God that his ears were unstopped and his mouth began to sing the praises of God. That was our watchman. We need watchmen like that, don't we? And he was a faithful man. He couldn't speak English. We couldn't speak Marathi. But we sat around the fire. See, when you have a fire, you can have great fellowship. We sat around the fire and we lauded each other and talked to each other and he smiled and we smiled. And we sat there for a couple of hours. It was great. Because the fellowship was more than just what we said. There was a warmth in the heart of the man and the warmth of Jesus Christ. He was our watchman and he was a faithful watchman. We read here of the watchmen of of Israel and the men that were appointed as keepers, as protectors. Men that were to be awake in the time of danger, in the time of when the beasts were coming in, when the powers of darkness were coming in, these men were to stand upon the watch and they were beginning to raise the alarm. Something was happening. They had a duty before God to stand up and be counted and to proclaim and to call out and to cry that, that there's danger coming, that, that they cared for the souls of God's people. That they cared for the heart of God's people. And so we see here that the men were appointed to be the protector and the keeper. It tells us in verses 10 to 12 that they were blind. It wasn't physically blind. There was a spiritual blindness amongst the leadership. They were dumb dogs. You know, the best thing to protect a house and all the fancy alarms and cameras and everything we have. But see if a thief knows there's a dog in the back garden, he's not coming in. Still the best thing to protect the house is a dog. But you see, they'd lost their ability to warn. They were dumb dogs. They were asleep. They were living at ease. They were greedy. They had no understanding. And ultimately, what it tells us there in those few verses, that they were actually in all of this for their own gain. They were in it for themselves. They were getting rich. They were getting wealthy off the people. And they weren't really interested in warning the people or raising the alarm or calling out of the impending danger or the judgment that was coming. Rather, they just wanted to live a life at ease. And so the first failure in Israel was amongst the leadership in Israel because that was key to leading the people away into, into all that was about to take place. In Ezekiel 33 and verse 6, it says these words, Ezekiel 33 And verse 6, but if the watchman see the sword come and blow not the trumpet and the people be not warned, if the sword come and take any person from among them, he is taken away in his iniquity, but his blood will I require at the watchman's hand. So thou, O son of man, I have set thee a watchman under the house of Israel. Therefore thou shalt hear the word at my mouth and warn them from me. When I say unto the wicked, O wicked man, thou shalt surely die. If thou dost not speak to warn the wicked from his way, that wicked man shall shall die in his iniquity, but his blood will I require at your hand. This is serious. This is a sobering reality and responsibility. The Bible says, If the trumpet given on certain sound, who can prepare himself for the battle? Who can be ready in that day if there's not a clear sign of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ in the day in which we're living? If it's just a show, if it's just entertainment, if it's just something of tickling the ear, but it's not Bible-centered, Christ-centered, cross-centered, blood-centered, sin, hell, heaven, the reality of this judgment of the Lord Jesus Christ 
Brothers and sisters, there's an uncertain trumpet sound today and people aren't ready for the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the watchmen are responsible. The watchmen are responsible. And so it tells us in those verses in Isaiah 56 that they filled themselves with strong drink. They filled themselves with strong drink. Proverbs 21 says, Wine is a mocker. Strong drink is raging. And whosoever is deceived thereby is not wise. And I know it's a, a, in some ways, in some areas, a hot potato, I know, of a man of God that made a stand on the whole social drinking culture that swept into the church. It's, it's not social drinking. It's people going out and getting drunk. And he made a stand, and I think something like 50 to 70 people walked out of the church. Brothers and sisters, it's a day of drunkenness, not just in the streets. It's a drunkenness and even amongst God's people. And this was the leadership of Israel. They filled themselves with strong drink. Wine is a mocker. Strong drink is raging. Whosoever is deceived thereby is not wise. You know, the biggest destroyer of homes today is still alcohol. It still is alcohol. I know they advertise it's not banned, it's legal. I know it's advertised as cool and attractive and everything else, but it's still the greatest destroyer of homes and lives in the United Kingdom. And we have people that come and sit among us. And friends, if you ever are in a situation where you're going to visit them or, or be called to go to their house, you'll soon see the reality of strong drink and the destruction it does in lives. Wine is a mocker, the Bible says. Strong drink is raging. And whosoever is deceived thereby is not wise. Is not wise. And so Israel had leaders who were blind, were dumb, were asleep. They were living at ease. They were in it for themselves. They had no understanding. And they were living it up. And yet the beast were coming in and devouring the land. This was Israel. When we look then and go into chapter 57, it tells us in chapter 57 of what the people were engaged in. And this is serious because as the leaders fell asleep on the watch, then the people themselves, Israel as a people, were led away, led astray. It tells us in verse 3 that God speaks very clearly here that he calls in the sons of the sorceress, in other words, sorcery, witchcraft, familiar spirits, paganism became the normal practice within Israel. And you might say, well, that's years ago. That's not relevant today. I want to tell you, brothers and sisters, it's rampant today, not just in the world, but familiar spirits and witchcraft and all types and all manners of spiritual activity is rampant today in the church of Jesus Christ. We have the secret societies. We have the Masonic. We have all these things that go on. I want to tell you it's from the pit of hell. It's from the pit of hell. And yet we celebrate it. And it's part of our culture. It's not part of the kingdom's culture. If any man's in Christ, he's a new creature. The old things pass away. I was a member of LOL 778 Clifton Street. When I got saved, I was delivered. I was out of that, brothers and sisters. And thank God I'm free this morning. Jesus Christ does not need a secret society. We need the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Nothing else, brother. And it creeps in. Oh, we don't say, but they're really respectable people. They may be respectable people. Brothers and sisters, Jesus Christ does not need a collar at. I know you don't get any uh, applause for that in the world in which, especially in the north of Ireland. But let me tell you, brothers and sisters, it's the cross, it's the blood, it's the book this morning, it's the fire of the Holy Ghost. We have the infiltration of every type of witchcraft. And it's more subtle probably than what uh, many of us would grasp. The wickedness during the reign of Manasseh in 2 Kings chapter 21. If you turn to it, during the reign of Manasseh, in chapter 6, it says that he made his son pass through the fire. There was the sacrifice of their children. And I mentioned it a few weeks ago of the 4,000 babies that are aborted every week in the United Kingdom. You think this is something that they just done years ago. I know we've become very smart and we do it in a medical fashion and under different terms. But I want to tell you something. What Manasseh was doing all those years ago, it's alive and well today in the United Kingdom. They observed times. They used enchantments. They dealt with familiar spirits and wizards. He brought much wickedness in the sight of the Lord to provoke the Lord to anger. He set a graven image of the grove that he made in the house of which the Lord said to David and to Solomon, his house, his son, in this house and in Jerusalem, which I have chosen out of all the tribes of Israel, I will put my name forever, where the people of God gather together in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's his house. This is his house this morning. And so when we see people gathering in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, in his name, and they gather and we see the, we see the false worship, and we see the raising up of a false gospel. And we see the raising up of the, the, the influence of this hour and this day, particularly in the church of the elevation of man above Christ, above everything of what he is, and the influence of that, and the powerful stronghold and grip that that, that system has on the church today. Then make no mistake about it when Hillsongs come out and endorse the LGBTQ, whatever else, community, and say, we are inclusive. And the thousands then that worship hill songs, they worship hill songs. Then, brothers and sisters, make no mistake about it, deception's going to sweep through the whole church in an instant. It says in Isaiah 57, and you know, I read about the, just recently, I was reading the wee bit behind the Pentecostal movement in Australia, how it was birthed, and it was birthed out of a genuine revival, and most of that has actually come, it has its roots in a genuine move of the Holy Spirit, but that's what happens. That's what happens. It starts well, but brothers and sisters, it's not how we start, it's how we finish is important. How we finish. It also says in Isaiah 57, uh, 56, and then into 57 there, that the Lord mentions that they were the seed of an adulterer. And what does that mean? What is the Lord saying? But he's speaking here of spiritual apostasy, spiritual adultery. They were unfaithful to God. They went after other gods. You know, we're redeemed. We've been bought by the price. We're not our own. We belong to him. He is jealous for us. He wants communion with us. But when a people, individual, collective, begin to go in after other gods, that's apostasy, but it's spiritual adultery. 
That's what it is. It's spiritual adultery. And so we see they were unfaithful to God. But when, when the word of the Lord came, in verse 4, know what they did? They began to mock. They mocked those that would stand, not in a, in a condemnation way, but stand and say, brothers and sisters, let's come back to the old past, the way the God's way, the way of blessing. Let's walk the way of blessing. Let's walk His way. Let's flee the world and, and the sin that's in the world. Let's turn away from those things, not in a legalistic way, but let's go after God. Let's seek Him with all of our hearts. Let's love the Lord with all of our hearts. Let's serve Him and Him alone. Let us love Him because He is, he is deserving of our love and our lives. And they begin to mock. That's old, that's old hat stuff. We just come, we have two or three hours of worship. We don't open the Bible. We don't preach. We maybe have some type of PowerPoint thing to make people feel good about themselves. That's the entirety of so much of what Christendom has come to. I'm thankful this week that every night in our wee Bible club that it's centered on the Bible. It's centered on the Bible. What else do we have to offer? It is centered on, it's called the Bible club. Guess what? It's about the Bible. Brothers and sisters, today it's changing very rapidly. But if you say anything, you're mocked, you're laughed at. You're, you're caught in some, some, somewhere else. You're from another generation. You're, 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 you're a, where are you from? You need to move with the times. I thank God that God's out of time. And he hasn't changed. Neither has his word. Neither has the power of the cross. Neither has his blood. And so we see here that there's, he called them the seed of an adulterer. They had committed spiritual adultery, spiritual apostasy. Verse 5 and 6 and 57 says, A nation was given to idolatry, the sacrifice of children. Many have been led away with, it talks about smooth stones in the valley, and they raised up these altars and these idols. But I want to tell you, it's not only about smooth stones in the valley. It also speaks of smooth talkers in the pulpit. Smooth talkers in the pulpit. Great communicators, highly gifted. You know, it's, it's rampant. I know we say it, but it's rampant over in the United States that, you know, you can get a Christian comedian to come in because you're all looking a bit depressed this morning. The best way is get someone just to tell a whole lot of jokes. And everyone goes out feeling so happy. Oh, we'd never met with Christ. You know, is it not true that all that thrills our soul is Jesus? Is he not more than life to us? Do we need entertainment? Do we need jokers in, in the platform? Do we need people, smooth talkers that are going to deceive, that are going to bring lies and damnable heresies and doctrines of devils? And people are saying, well, this is it. This is great. Have you heard this new preacher? He's so good. He's so clever. He, he really can present it. Have you heard him? You should look him up. He's on YouTube. He's really, really good. And he's very clever in how he does it. I want to tell you, brothers and sisters, what did Jesus say? Be not deceived. This is what we've been told. This is what we've been warned. It's not that we should be ignorant. This is in the Bible. It's clear. It's black and white. We're warned of the deception in the last day. There'll be smooth talkers. Highly gifted men. I mean, as far as being able to present anything or put anything across. We couldn't tie their laces. 
They're so clever. They're so great with their words. They're so charismatic. They look the part. Everything, the stage is set. Everything looks so well. And thousands flock to it. And they come out and you ask the question, I'm sure, what was it all about? What did you hear about Jesus? I've heard about being a better person. I know our cousins went to hear one of the big ones in America. And these are obvious ones. And they're atheists. They're militant atheists. One's a microbiologist. One's an artist in London. Done very well for themselves. And they went to hear, I think it was Austin. I know people get upset if you mention it. But brothers and sisters, let me tell you something. They came out and they said, well, that was really inspiring. What did they hear? The preaching of the cross. To them that perish is foolishness. But to us that are saved, it's the power of God. With thousands of flock. And they're taken up by all that's going on. And if you mention anything at all, you're mocked. You're mocked as they began to mock in the idolatry. They were led away with the smooth talkers. They were won over by preachers of unrighteousness. In 1 Timothy chapter 4, if you turn over in the New Testament, 1 Timothy chapter 4, and then we'll go into 2 Timothy chapter 3. In 1 Timothy chapter 4, Paul writing to Timothy says, Now the Spirit, that's the Holy Spirit, speaketh expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. This is what the Spirit of God says. This is not what Tim McElrath said. This is what the Holy Ghost speaking to us. In the last days, in the latter times, some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits. There's a church in the book of Revelation, the church at Pergamos. It sat and it was birthed. And the Bible tells us at the seat of Satan. That's where that church lived. That's where they overcame. It was not the seat of Satan or the powers of darkness that defeated that church. Why? Because greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. It was not the powers of darkness that defeated the church at Pergamos. Their bishop, their pastor was martyred for the faith. He was burnt in a a bronze bull. They put him inside it. They set a fire underneath it and they burnt him alive. At the seat of Satan, that's the seat that Hitler brought to Germany. or And it's in the Berlin Museum. And that's where Hitler himself built a type of that on the Nuremberg rallies. Completely demonic. But the church is not defeated by the powers of darkness. Because Christ defeated Satan at Calvary. What defeated the church, what the Lord warned them of, was false doctrine. The doctrine of Balaam, the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, unless you repent. That's what would destroy the church. Sound doctrine, sound teaching, the word of God. And so we see the Lord, the five out of the seven churches, <coughs> commanding them to repent. Or they would, he would take the presence of the Lord from that church. Brothers and sisters, it's serious. It says here in 1 Timothy chapter 4, 
The Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron. You know, they may have started right, and that's the most, that's the most deceiving of it all. Men who start with the reality and the anointing of the Lord upon their lives, this is the reality of the day we're in, but they have gone They've departed from the faith, but because of their early anointing, the people then are deceived by. But they were once solid. They were once, they were once, and today, how have they got caught up in all of that? It's the doctrines of devils, it's the seducing spirits that come. Brothers and sisters, in verse 6 here in chapter 4, this is important. If thou put the brethren in remembrance of these things, then thou shalt be a good minister of Jesus Christ. There's a lot of people today don't want to hear what I'm saying. They don't want to hear it. But brother, we need to be remembered. We need to remind you of the days in which we're in. And we need to take heed lest we also are swept up in this. Over in the 2 Timothy and chapter 3, and this is Paul writing concerning the church. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, he speaks of the coming apostasy. Can I tell you this morning, I believe that the apostasy has already come. It's not coming. It's, it's, we're, we're in it. It's happened and it's happening. And Paul says this, Know also that in the last days perilous times will come. That simply means times that are going to be hard to take. Hard to take. It's hard to take these days. It's hard to see what's happening. It's hard to look at it all and say, is it not hard? Are you not grieved in your spirit? It's not about them and us. It's about, oh God, can so many be, be swept away from the simplicity of the gospel? Can so many be swallowed up with this? Can so many be turned away and fall into apostasy in the day in which we're living? These are hard days to take. Men should be lovers. Now this is to the church. Men should be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false, accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof. The Bible says from such we are to turn away. For this sort are they which creep into houses, lead captive silly women laden with sins, and lead away with diverse lusts, ever learning but never coming to the knowledge of the truth. This is the days, brothers and sisters, that we are living in. These are the days. This describes our day. Bible clearly tells us, except there be a falling away in 2 Thessalonians, there has to be. The Bible tells us there's a falling away. Falling away is taking place right now. It's all around us. But the people in Israel in Isaiah 57 verse 7, it tells us there, Upon a lofty and a high mountain has they set thy bed. In other words, they just were going up and up and higher and higher. Remember, we're going to come to a verse in a minute that he's the high and lofty one. But they were making their bed higher and lofty 
on the mountain top. Even thither whence thou up to offer sacrifices, behind the doors also in the post thou hast set up thy remembrance, for thou hast discovered thyself to another than me. In other words, Jesus is not enough. Many people know that Jesus is enough. Are you satisfied with Jesus? But Jesus is not enough. That, that's what's happening now. He's not enough. We need to add something to all of this to make it exciting for people. Brothers and sisters, isn't it exciting to be saved? You know, isn't it good to know you're not going to hell? Isn't it good to know your, your name's written in the Lamb's Book of Life? Isn't it good to know you've been dug out of a horrible pit? Isn't it good to know that you're washed in the blood, that you're clothed in His righteousness, you're clothed and in your right mind? It's good to be in your right mind, isn't it? Should that not excite us? Oh, come on. Should that not excite us? Should that not make us happy? That makes me happy. With the think of the pit that I was pulled out of, I couldn't get out of it myself. We were talking last night. How many times you're trying to climb out of that slimy pit and you maybe got halfway up and you thought you'd done well and so you patted yourself on the back and says, well, I'm not such a great guy, but then you're slipping into the mire and the muck and the sin and the filth and the dirt. But then one day a hand comes right down into that pit and just pulls you right out of it and you're saved. You're delivered. Is it enough? Is it enough? Seems to be not enough today. Seems to be something of the tell me the old, old story. That's not enough. It seems to be we have to have something more. Something to up, create an appetite or an atmosphere for people that that'll keep them coming. If it's not the cross, then brothers and sisters, we don't want anything else. The cross, Christ, is enough. He's enough. Sadly, today, we live in a world Christ is not enough. We live in a church that he's not enough. And from this, the nation began to sink. That's what it tells us here. It says it began to sink. They laid down, they committed spiritual fornication. Do you know our our, our commitment to the Lord is likened to a husband and a wife, the church and the Lord Jesus Christ. But they broke the vow. <clears throat> the high and the lofty, they were speaking of their shameless act of spiritual idolatry. And people loved it. There was no shame in it. It's okay. It doesn't matter to fornicate in the world. It doesn't matter to, to just to, to live whatever way you want and go to church on a Sunday and, and live like the way you used to always live. That's all old hat now. You can do that anyway. Why, why, why get saved out of that? Because you can do it. And you can go to many churches today and you can't go out on a Saturday night to the pubs and the clubs and the discos and you can't come again on a Sunday morning and you can have a bit of a time in church. But it's, hey, it's all all right. Something wrong, isn't there? And it's not just the fact of not going to a bar. Brothers and sisters, is Christ enough? It's not because there's a law that says I'm not allowed to go to a pub or a disco. It's because I'm free not to go. Because I've found the pearl of greatest price. His name's Jesus. And so we see here in this nation, 
Speaking of their shameless acts, verse 9 declares their alliances with the world. They joined themselves with the kings and they got themselves alliances with the world and they debased themselves. And in verse 9, this is what it says in Isaiah 57. Thou wentest to the king with ointment and didst increase thy perfumes. All the presentation got more and more spectacular. You have to be up in your game to try and keep up with the new thing in the church today. you got to be up in the, how you're going to redo the sanctuary, how it's going to look, how you're going to have to make it all right. And they've got a new, they've got a new platform, a new backdrop. We need to get a new backdrop. We, they've got these new lights. We need to get those new lights. We have, brothers and sisters, you think this is the way it is. This is what's happening. You've got to make it bigger. Next year we're going bigger. We're going brighter. We're going, you think you're talking about Belfast Theatre? We're talking about the house of God. A place where it's a house of prayer. A place where Christ is preached and the gospel's preached. But no, we've got to keep pushing higher. And so this is what they did. But then listen to what happened. And thou didst debase thyself at the end of verse 9. They sunk so low, even unto hell. Think about that. Think about what the prophet's saying. It got so low, the whole thing sank into a place where the prophet describes it as it was like hell. The nation that forgets God, what happens? Turns into hell. That's what happens. It sunk lower and lower and lower. It came to the lowest spiritual possible state that, that, that you can imagine they went even to the depths of hell. And God begins to speak in verse 14, 12 to 14. says, I will declare thy righteousness. I will declare your works. For they shall not profit thee. These things shall not profit you. When thou Christ, let your companies deliver you. Is there deliverance in this? Is there deliverance in all of this? And the mess of it, and the depth of it, and the mire, and the muck, and the compromise, and the, and the spiritual adultery, and, and fornication. Is there deliverance there? God says, I will display your works, but they will profit you. The arm of flesh will fail you. There's no deliverance in the midst of that. Why? Because there is no gospel in it. And yet, it's the place to be, isn't it? That's the place to be. God says, the wind shall carry them all away. Vanity shall take them. But then this is what he says. But he that booteth his trust in me shall possess the land and shall inherit my holy mountain. Think about it. He that will trust me, he that will turn to me in such a day and put their trust in me. Are you trusting the Lord Jesus Christ? Have you put your trust in him? The Bible says in Psalm 9, the Lord will be a refuge to the oppressed, a refuge in the times of trouble. And they that know thy name will put their trust in him. Do you know his name this morning? Have you put your trust in Jesus? He says he'll be a refuge in the trouble. He'll be a refuge for the oppressed. He'll be a refuge in the times when the trouble comes because we're trusting in him. Friends, we can trust him this morning. Proverbs 30 and 5 says, Every word of God is pure. He is a shield unto them that put their trust in Him. I have put my trust in Jesus. 
Jesus Christ alone. We trust Him this morning. You can trust Him with your life. You can trust Him with everything this morning, brothers and sisters. He's a God that can be trusted. Then He says, when I see a people that trust me, verse 14, when I find a people that say we're going to trust God, you know what we're going to do in the midst of all of this? You know what we're going to do, brothers and sisters? Here, here's an, We're going to just trust Him. Is that enough? That's more than enough. He's a God that can be trusted. He just wants someone to trust Him. Just trust me. And then He says, if you trust me, verse 14, and she'll say, cast ye up, cast ye up, prepare the way, take up the stumbling block out of the way of my people. No, it's amazing what God can do in a moment. There's stumbling blocks. Stumbling block. Stumbling block are things that are in the hearts of people. Whether it's unforgiveness, whether it's bitterness, whether it's, whether it's an unrepentant heart. And in that heart, these are stumbling blocks to the moving of the Holy Spirit. God desires to move. God wants to be amongst his people. God wants, look, we're going to come to it. We'll not get to it this morning, but here's a God that's so high and lofty and habits eternity. We're going from one extreme to the next. And I also dwell in the midst of a people that are crushed. And what am I going to do when I get there? I'm going to revive them. I'm going to lift them up. I'm going to heal their backsliding. I'm going to deliver them from one extreme to the other. What amazing God we have. Here we see, he says, the stumbling blocks. You get those stumbling blocks. He says, you lift those stumbling blocks out of your life and out of your heart. You repent of those things. You trust me with with everything this morning. And I'll make a way for you when there is no way. I mean, how's God going to get him back? God's going to pull down everything if he has to. Open every Red Sea and every Jordan and pull down every stronghold and defeat every beast. If a heart cries out in the midst of it, oh God, I'm putting my trust in you and I want to come back. I mean, God opens a way when there is no way. There's a highway of holiness and we can walk that way and we can strengthen the feeble hands and the weak knees and we put our trust in Him and we get rid of the stumbling blocks in our heart. God says, I'll make a way and I'll get you home, son. I'll get you home. When you get back, I'll clothe you and I'll put my joy in your heart and I'll redeem you and I'll revive you and I'll clothe you and I'll sing over you with joy because I'm the God that loves you. Simply if you trust Him. I mean, it's simple, isn't it? You just trust Him. God begins to pull all the stumbling blocks out of that life. Oh, the devil's trying to stop you. Don't worry about the devil. I defeated him at Calvary. People are trying to stop you. Don't worry. I can move them out of the way. I can put believers in your path. I can bring people alongside you to lift up your arms. I can bring people alongside you and encourage you. Keep on running. You're going to finish and you're going to finish well. But I'm crushed and I'm, I'm down and I feel and I'm out. And turn to God this morning and the God who's high and lofty and inhabits an eternity. He'll just come right down to where you are and he revives the Christ in spirit. It's amazing this God demonstrated it all in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. When he humbled himself and took upon flesh and went to the cross, he was obedient unto death. God is so mighty, so high. There's no one like Jesus this morning. There's nobody like our God. No one like our God. And yet, friend, this morning, he comes down to someone who's Christ. 
It's amazing. It's the wonder of it all. We can't grasp it. We can't even take him in. How do you grasp him that inhabiteth eternity, the high and the lofty one? And you mentioned it this morning, whose name is holy. And then some poor, broken soul in a meeting here or sitting in a kitchen at home or sitting in their house today, troubled and broken and ruined with suicide and broken homes and not knowing where to turn. And just that gentle cry of one human that says, is there a God? Would you help me? The God that inhabits eternity comes down into our room for the crushed in spirit and brings resurrection life. What an amazing saviour. Stumbling blocks. Stumbling blocks. Hearts that are riddled with stumbling blocks. Hosea 6, 1 says, Come, let us return to the Lord. Let's, let's get right with God. For he is torn. But you know what? He'll heal us. He's a wonderful healer. There is a bomb in Gilead. There's a wonderful Savior. He heals the broken in heart. He binds up every wound. He is smitten. And he will bind us up again. After two days, he will revive us. And then the third day, he will raise us up. And we shall live in his sight. Let's get back to the Lord. Let's not wonder. Let's not see how close we can get to the world. Young people, don't, don't be deceived. It's not greener on the other side. No, it's not. And the lust of the flesh and the, the, the persuasion of the world and, and, and the classes and everything else. Listen, one, one, one long, long, long time ago, I was in secondary school. I know what it's like. Just live for Jesus. Just live for Jesus. Let's get back with him. Just walk with him. You can trust him. You can trust him. Put your trust in Jesus. Friends, this great God can come right down to where you are this morning, your seat. Touch your life afresh and bring revival to your heart. Resurrection life. Can you trust him? Can you turn to him? What an amazing saviour. The high and lofty one that inhabiteth eternity. His name is holy. But I'll come down to someone who's crushed. Unbelievable. Believable. But you know what I mean. Unbelievable, believable. It's a wonder. That's what I'm trying to say, Peter. Thank you, brother. We can trust him. We can trust him. Let's turn to him this morning. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus.